Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I am your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am. I'm very ready. All right, let's give it a whirl! Okay, I'm so excited. And I hope everyone is having a wonderful summer. We're having such a good time creating content for you. And Chandler does so much research to find the most interesting subjects for us to look into. Oh, well, uh, thank you very much. And uh, you're uh, taking all of uh, the hits as as well as you can on uh, getting you uh, right in the dark of uh, trying to figure out who these people are while we all know and you do not. So um, that's what uh, makes this show hopefully so interesting to so many people uh, around this uh, wonderful world of ours. And uh, for those of you, if this is uh, your first episode of History in Retrograde, welcome. Uh, the way that we do things here is that uh, in a moment I will give the data necessary for mom to create an astrological birth chart for a random historical figure. Now, uh, you, the listening audience, already know who this mystery history guest is. It is in the title of today's episode. I, of course, know who it is because I selected the person. But mom, do you have any idea who we're talking about today? No, I never know what we're doing at all. I literally walk around in the dark with my hands in front of me, hoping I don't fall down. And that's what hopefully creates a wonderful show. Uh, So uh, I will give her the data. That is the birth date, time, and location of this mystery history guest. She will then input that data into the bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment this person was born. Uh, She will then give us a blind reading, doing uh, the best that she can to give us uh, the personality traits, motivations, 
fortunes of this uh, random historical figure. I will ask a few discussion questions and then reveal to her who our mystery history guest is, give a little background about the person, and then together we'll uh, come at the end of the uh, episode and see uh, how accurate the chart was at predicting what this person would do. Uh, So without any further ado, let us begin. Okay, let's go. Uh, This is a male. All right. Born on the 5th of December. Mm. Uh Uh-huh. 1932. Mm Mm-hmm. At 2.50 p.m. Oh, I like it. When we have birth times, it makes things better. 2.50. All right. And where? What country? Uh, The United States. All right. And the town? Macon, Georgia. Oh, my. Let's see. What we have here. So again, this is a male born December 5th, 1932 at 2.50 p.m. in Macon, Georgia. All right. So clearly, if you look at this chart, you can see that this is a splash chart. This person has uh, their planets spread amongst all of the houses of their chart. Okay. You see that, Chandler? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. And um, this person has... Um, Aries rising at 27 degrees, which is very close to having Taurus rising as well. So I would say that this person, um, perhaps, uh, had a very fiery side on, uh, meeting as well as a very, um, uh, stubborn and uh, determined side to them. Uh, we're going to start, I'm just going to start with the first house, which is, uh, like I said, 27 degrees Aries. Um, and then this person has Chiron at 25 degrees Taurus in the first house. So Chiron in this situation in the first house has to do with how you heal the image, the, um, the persona of this person, and also maybe healing personas of other people, maybe. Uh, Uh, what, What do you mean by persona? Well, your first house is how people see you. Okay. Uh It is your, uh, it can be your self-worth, but it's more about your outward appearance, what you put outside of you. So this person could be healing people's, uh, um, how they look, how they appear. I don't know. I mean, it's possible that this person is somehow, if they're, if they're following the path, which is to heal with your Chiron, this person has Chiron at 25 degrees um, Taurus, which puts it also very close to the cusp of Gemini. 
So there could also be some communication aspects to this, some healing through communication aspects, maybe. Uh, there's that. Okay. Then second house is Gemini and there's nothing in the second house. And then third house, actually, pardon me, second house is Taurus. But do you see that little sliver right there? <laughs> mm -hmm. That that's, uh, that's the end of that because it changes right here because we're using Placidus houses. So, um, the second house is actually Taurus. And then, uh, third house is Gemini. It's very interesting, this chart, because it's such a late degree first house at 27 degrees. So I have to look at it a little bit harder. Um, interesting. Because, see, when your first house is Aries, that makes your whole chart kind of go the direction of astrology, right? Because the first sign is Aries. So the first house is ruled by Aries, okay? It's ruled... Uh, by Mars, right? Because Mars rules Aries. So, um, then third house cusp is Cancer. And this person has, uh, um, Pluto in their fourth house, though. Because in this situation, oh, okay. All right. So this person has, Ah, uh, very interesting. All right, so they have two houses in Cancer and two houses that open with Capricorn, okay? And that happens sometimes when you're doing Placidus houses. And so this person's, you know, this is their first house, is Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, okay? Oh, this, this chart is really confusing me. Um, because it's, um, it's laid out different than what I'm used to. Uh, so. I, I think that that's rather fair. <laughs> Is it? Because it's really confusing me. It's mm -hmm. a little bit difficult. I really have to study it for a second. Let me make sure I'm not making a mistake. Okay. So this is Aries. This is Taurus. This is Gemini. This is Cancer. Okay, so Gemini is ruling the third house. Cancer is ruling the fourth house. Leo is ruling the fifth house. Okay, so what I said before about the two houses in Cancer and the two houses in Capricorn is incorrect. This person does have all of their houses being ruled by their, um, by the ruler of those houses. Okay, it's just that the degree is only two, right? You only have two degrees or even less as you move around the chart of the of the house ruler. So, although... And this is why the birth time is so essential. Oh, my goodness, Because if yes. we had just set this at noon because we didn't know, uh -huh. this would be... Uh, a lot of things would be different here. But yes. this being recorded as 250 means that all of these things are a little bit more precise. Yes, and I do appreciate that. And and it, it isn't as hard to decipher as it is when I don't have a birth time. I just have to look at it a little bit longer. And um, in this situation, you see you only have two degrees of Aries in this first house, okay? All of their Aries is, is in their 12th house, all right? And then here you have um, Taurus starts here at zero, right? And then it goes 
to right there, if you can see what I'm pointing at, that tiny little sliver into, you know, the second house. So, uh, Pluto in the fourth house. All right. And we have Pluto in cancer in the fourth house. So this could be a very interesting person with regard to home and family and, um, uh, uh lifestyle and, uh, this person would have taken their home very seriously, although with Pluto in their fourth house, they could have a very powerful household or they could move a lot. Uh, they could have a constant death and rebirth of the household, right? So that's possible. There's a lot of things. There's a very powerful aspect in that with Pluto in the fourth house, very powerful in your community, very powerful in your, um, in your, uh, country, there's power involved with what you feel is home. Okay. Then we have, uh, fifth house is ruled by Leo. Okay. And things start to straighten out a little bit here. You see how it starts to get a little bit wider birth mm -hmm. in, in the houses. Okay. So here we have, uh, nothing in, Leo, but you have Leo on the fifth house, which is its home. So there is that leadership, sun, entertaining, sunshiny, um, vibrant energy coming from this person's fifth house. They could have been, uh, a very, uh, excellent entertainer or a very good leader. Um, they do have Mars in Virgo in their fifth house and they do have Neptune in Virgo in their fifth house. And here it moves into Jupiter in Virgo in their sixth house. So we have this very interesting Virgo situation here. First of all, Virgo is very precise. Okay. And, and they are probably the most precise. I'm pretty sure I've said this before, of any sign of the Zodiac. It is their pleasure to be precise and to be right and to be accurate. So when you have a situation where you have a person who has Mars conjunct Neptune in Virgo by degree, this person has Mars at nine degree and Neptune at 10 degrees of Virgo, you either have a very precise creative person or you have someone who teeters on uh um it could work worst case scenario they teeter on insanity uh they could be a brilliant um maybe writer or with this being in the fifth house, I would think it was performing, but it is not a natural place. People who have Neptune in Virgo or people who have um, Neptune squaring or opposing, mostly squaring or, or giving a difficult aspect to anything in their Virgo uh, can be very difficult and, 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 and upsetting for them. You know, because it lends this whole illusionary, um, 
aspect to their precision. Is any of this making any sense? So what do you mean is what is upsetting to them? That they're, they, they can't be as precise with their uh, details or however detail-oriented they want to be because Neptune is making them use their... Well, best case scenario, it would make them a very brilliant, uh, precise person with their imagination. Like, um, like let's say they were a writer and they could write things that were so precisely accurate um, that, but it was all imaginary. Does that kind of explain it a little bit? So, like, because they're, they're both pulled towards precision and towards imagination, at some points their imagination, the veil, the illusion, can get in the way of the precision that they want. Yes, is that, 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 that would be a way to describe how this person is dealing with their... There's a conflict. Uh, yes, there is always a conflict when you have... Neptune and Virgo. Okay. Because Virgos do not want to be in 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 the gray zone. You know, they don't want to be um inaccurate. They need to be accurate. Now, what is making this even more even more is that this person has Jupiter at 21 degrees Virgo. So this person where if you just had the Mars conjunct Neptune in Virgo in the fifth house, making you super creative, but also possibly having real mental issues with that. Uh, Jupiter makes everything bigger and more and expansive. So this person is even more creative, even more imaginative, but all in Virgo. But so, so, the, so the conflict grows too. Yes, yes, the conflict, the passion, all of these things that this person is dealing with, and they're dealing with it in their fifth and sixth house. So they're dealing with these things in their house of creativity and fun and romance, and also in their house of healing and work. So somehow, all of this has to do with their work. Um, this great expansive passion and illusion. So this person could be very precise with illusion. Um, okay, so then we move to uh, seventh house, which is ruled by Libra, which is very interesting because they have their Venus at 10 degrees Scorpio in their seventh house. So, wow. Uh, this person should have had a lot of partners or opportunities for partners. Like, <laughs> Venus in the seventh house is just really a love of partners and, and, and love. And Scorpio is very intense because Scorpios can love you so much you know so this person has that that they're dealing with while they're dealing with all this weird illusionary precision they're also dealing with this 
huge romantic ability. And then <laughs> let's add some more to that because this person has Sun conjunct Mercury in Sagittarius in the eighth house. So this is the house of, <laughs> oh my goodness, this person has a lot. Um, this is the house of, um, well, it's ruled by Pluto. So it's clearly the house of death and rebirth and the macabre and the occult and, and taboo things, but also um, other people's money and taxes and inheritance and windfalls of money. And this person has sun conjunct literally by the sun is 13 degrees and the mercury is 10 degrees. So this person should have been able to talk a blue streak. I mean, really about like this person I would imagine could have been able to instigate things fairly easily, like just get up in front of people and start saying whatever. And people should have been very motivated by whatever this person said. Then we have nothing in the ninth house and we have, uh, Capricorn on the 10th house because this is Libra. This is Scorpio. This is Sagittarius. This is Capricorn. And this person has Saturn in Aquarius at one degree in the 10th house. Okay. So either way, no matter how you look at it, this person has lessons and work to do with career. So it one degree Aquarius, having your Saturn at one degree Aquarius puts you right on the cusp. I mean, you couldn't be any closer unless you were at 29 Capricorn or zero um, Aquarius. But this person has work to do regarding their career. They have to have a career. And because it is half Capricorn and half, I mean, this is how I see it. A lot of people don't agree, but this is how I do it. It gives you this very interesting ability, executive ability, while at the same time, this humanitarian aspect, unless dark side of Aquarius is totalitarianism, you know? It's, that's it, you know? This person has their midhaven in Capricorn at 16 degrees, which would make them very business oriented, very executive minded, possibly run a corporation or <laughs> small country or uh, some sort of business. Okay. But then you move into the 11th house. Okay. Which is ruled by Aquarius and their north node in Pisces is found there. So this Pisces works with this Neptune. All right. Somehow this North node in Pisces at 12 degrees is opposing this Neptune at 10 degrees in Virgo. So there's a very huge energetic push here with regards to groups of people and creativity and motivating groups of people, having to deal with groups of people. Your North Node is your direction and having your North Node in the 11th house makes you deal with groups of people. Okay. This person has moon 
in Pisces, which makes them very, oh, this is difficult because with all of this Mars and Neptune and Jupiter and Virgo would make them want to be very precise, but they have moon in Pisces, which is very magically, um, whenever I think of moon in Pisces, I think of the fool card in, in the tarot deck. It's like just, just wandering about, you know, just being naturally creative and a magical being. Uh, this person's mother should have been very, very creative and very magical. And they would have had karma with their mother and women because it's the 12th house or it's worst case scenario. They would have been separated from their mother or their mother might've passed away early. Something about the mother. And then they have Uranus and Aries in that same 12th house. So you have karma with mother and women and creativity, but also with war and unexpected things like explosions and um, things coming at you out of the blue and, and very, very intense because it's Aries, right? Aries, oh, I don't think I would want to have Uranus and Aries, but I mean, I already have Uranus and Leo. <laughs> That's bad enough, but um, this is this is a person who could have been very, very intense, but also could have been completely insane. Am I anywhere near close? Yes. I am? Oh mm. my. Okay. <laughs> well, um, do you have questions for me? Yes. What sort of profession do you see uh, him going into? Whoa. Well, I mean, here, their son is in the eighth house. I mean, that could have anything to do with eighth house things. But um, their midhaven is, you know, Capricorn. So they, they, whatever they did, they should have been really good at it. Um, except that they're fighting all of this, like, I almost want to say like this person heard voices, <laughs> like this person has so much, like they dance between reality and, and, and imagination. Um, um, I don't know. I mean, they could have been, they could have literally been anybody, you know? Anyone who was in something that required them to be, um, like, so, uh, the words that are coming to my mind are not right because it's not forceful. It's, not, it's dynamic. Like they would have to be in something that required them to be dynamic and versatile. Very interesting but maybe because north node and in, in, in the 11th house they had to be in front of people was any of that making sense mm -hmm. okay <laughs> i'm glad it makes sense to you the eighth house is that also philosophy and religion no that's the ninth house and this person doesn't have any planets in their ninth house but their ninth house is ruled by scorpio 
Uh, what role? Uh, Libra, Scorpio. Nope, that's our eighth house. The ninth house is ruled by Capricorn. Sorry. Uh, what role would a religion play in their life? I don't know, because this person could be like uh, a, 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 an eval. Uh, what do you say evangelist an evangelical preacher like mm-hmm. this person could be like rah 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 and also maybe that would be kind of a way that they dealt with this precision in the um in the religious aspects maybe if this person was an evangelical preacher that this person was born to be in front of people and this person was chose because you choose your north node. This person, if they're following the north node, uh, is somehow creating an illusion for groups of people and perhaps healing them with like healing their, with this Chiron and Taurus in the first house, like kind of healing their, I don't know, healing, he, his personality perhaps could be healing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But this person I think would be like the force of an evangelical preacher, like, you know, really intense in front of groups of people. Uh, what would his relationship with his father look like? We, it should be weird. Because here's Mars, right? And Mars is the father, but also the sun. Okay, so let's go to the sun. So sun conjunct Mercury. Okay, uh, discount what I just said about Mars and Neptune because that's different. That's a different thing. So looking at the sun, sun conjunct Mercury, uh, perhaps this person had a fairly good communication with his father. Because it's Mercury and Mercury is communication and um, uh, also Mercury rules like television and the airwaves and um, swiftness and some technology. You know what I mean? So you're saying that he would be good at communicating through the airwaves as well. Yeah, this person would be very good at communicating through the airwaves. Because Sun conjunct Mercury in Sagittarius would be like a house of fire. Mm -hmm. And so... Or uh, at least very charismatic. Sagittarius people are very charismatic when they want to be. Like someone who has Sag rising can be really super, super cool. Like the cool kid. But in this situation where they have Sun conjunct Mercury in uh, the 8th house, because also the 8th house is a cult. And so I don't know what goes on with this person. It could be interesting. This person, I can't imagine, was afraid to uncover things because Sagittarian people love to research things, right? They like to know uh, everything they can about things they're interested in. So this would have made this person somewhat interested in um, maybe occult death and rebirth, Plutonian things, Scorpio things. Also sexuality. That's there too. 
Kate's house. And what would their relationship with their mother look like? Well, we have the mother in the 12th house, so that would definitely be karma with the mother, karma with women. This moon is in Pisces, so uh, when you look to the moon, you would imagine that this that this person's mother should have been really creative and, you know, fairy tale-like. Uh, but worst case scenario is she was a blazing alcoholic, because that is the other side of that. What kind of clothes would he wear? Well, he has Aries rising, but only at 27 degrees. With Taurus rising, you know, you would have someone who wanted to dress really nice, like, um, really like designer things. Taurus people like the best right? They feel they deserve that. And they do. And, you know, and because that's what they want, you know, other people, somebody who might have like, you know, Pisces rising or, or Aquarius rising would be wearing like something really kind of unique and maybe unusual or weird. But someone who has Aries and Taurus rising would, should be a really snappy dresser, like nice, um, where would you find this person at a party? Holding court. Holding court. I would find this person that I would imagine. I mean, there is, I don't know, this person, I would, I see this person like a force to be reckoned with, right? But that North Node in Pisces, although it does put you in front of the people, it doesn't necessarily make you not shy in front of people, Right. But I have this feeling, I mean, the uh, dark water, light water of Pisces is very distinct sometimes. Like people who have Pisces rising don't necessarily want anybody to notice them when they walk in a room, right? They're okay. They're good. They don't need to be the center of attention. But this person with this Uranus and Aries and the 12th house and this Chiron and in Taurus in the first house and this sun conjunct Mercury in the eighth house and North node in the 11th, I would assume that this person would be the center of attention because this Mars and Neptune in the fifth house is very creative Leo-y, you know, even though it's in Virgo. Um, how would he view himself? Outwardly, I think that this person would appear fairly uh, confident and secure. But inwardly, this person has this conflict going on. <laughs> like, almost like you hear voices, right? Because you're, you're dealing with aspects that are not supposed, that aren't, that don't do well together, you know? So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, what would this person do if he felt he was wronged? Well, uh, I mean, I would, I would look at Mars for that. And, but see, you've got this Sagittarius. See, all this Sagittarius is squaring 
all of this Virgo, okay? And this Pisces, it's all squared up. So, and this person has Saturn and Capricorn. This is not a person, although this person could like jump on it, you know, and, and, and draw a sword and cut it. I have a feeling that this person also has this aspect to them that is smarter than that. Like they have the ability to decipher what can be done here. Like make a really good plan, if that makes any sense. So not reactionary. They could be reactionary, but I have a feeling that they were smarter than that. Like it's one thing to just defend your honor, like, you know, explode into whatever. But I just feel like this person with all this Virgo, they should have the ability to do worse by figuring out the plan. I don't know if that makes any sense because Pisces people can also be very explosive because they are so, they get their feelings, you know, they stabbed. So they get very explosive. They can have a really bad temper, but, uh, I just, I hope that this person, I don't know. I feel like this person's more dangerous than that. Like they would have a plan unless they're crazy, which is also possible. Um, what do you think would happen if, uh, this person was not given credit for something that they did? I don't think that would go over very well because Virgo people do like to get credit for their work. You know what I mean? Uh, it's a, it's a matter of principle, right? So this person has Mars and Virgo, Mars, Neptune, and Jupiter in Virgo. There's a lot of Virgo Virgonian personality happening here. Someone just opened my door. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, there's a lot of Virgonian personality here. And I think that when you go up against a Virgo, you better have all your I's dotted and all your T's crossed because they will. So there's that. Is there anything else uh, that you can point out about this chart that you haven't talked about already? Well, once again, I hate to sound wishy-washy, but when you're dealing with the two polar sides of each sign, you know, you are dealing with the best and worst options in each category, okay? So um, when you're dealing with all of this Virgo, you could be dealing with someone who is really spot on, although they have Neptune in Virgo making them more creative with it. But then Jupiter pushes all that Virgo further in their work, right? Fifth house, sixth house is all that Virgo. They should have had a very intense work ethic. They should have, uh, if they were working with the right side of Virgo. Then you have the sun conjunct Mercury in the eighth house, which is very powerful communicator and instigator. And then you have North Node and Pisces um, conjunct their moon by sign, not by degree, in the twelfth house, which is 
somehow the mother having to do with their direction or women having to do with their direction and having it be karmic. Or their mother could have been from a foreign country even because it's 12th house. And then you have Uranus at 19 degrees Aries in the 12th house, which is very explosive, but can also be very humanitarian and technical and technology, but like war technology, maybe. Um, I guess that's what I have for right now until I find out who it is. All right. Well, are you uh, ready for the summary of our findings? Yes. So, um, the first thing that you pointed out was this uh, person uh, could have a very fiery side, could be very stubborn, uh, determined. Uh -huh. um, there's something to do with healing and appearance. Uh, he may uh, be uh, healing how others appear or healing through his communication. Appearance and healing are connected. Mm -hmm. Um the, the he would have taken his home very seriously, uh, very powerful uh, in the home or possibly constantly moving his home, uh, powerful in his community and his country. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a leadership, a vibrant uh, person. Uh, he is uh, a, an excellent entertainer, possibly. Uh, mm -hmm. Sunshiny was a word that you used. Mm -hmm. um, pleasure from precision. Uh, a precise but creative person. Um, there, there could be teetering on insanity. Uh, he could be a brilliant writer. Uh, illusion. Uh, and the veil gets in the way of pre of the precision. There's a conflict between his imagination and his precision. Mm -hmm. uh, there is mental issues uh, with his creativity. Uh, Could be. Conflict increases uh, as well. So this conflict there is between the imagination and the precision, between the creative um, and uh, uh, the uh, reality uh, is amplified. Mm -hmm. um, there are um, a, a lot of partners. Uh, he loves to love. Uh, there is uh, he has a huge romantic ability. Um, he could talk a blue streak. Uh, he uh, could uh, instigate things easily. Uh, he has no problem getting up in front of people. Mm -hmm. uh, there is lessons with the career. Uh, there's a possible executive quality with him uh, mm -hmm. that is tied to humanitarian or totalitarian um, things. Mm -hmm. um, he'd be very good at motivating groups of people. His purpose would be tied to motivating groups of people. Mm -hmm. um, there is a, 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 a naturally a creative, magical uh, part of him. And there's a karma with women. Uh, there's also karma with uh, war, with explosive, unexpected things. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a, a very intense, um, uh, uh, he is a very intense person. Um, th he could possibly hear voices. Uh, mm -hmm. He dances between reality and imagination. Mm -hmm. uh, he has to be dynamic in front of people. 
there could be a, a possible uh, calling towards evangelism uh, and that uh, dealing with religion and, and a, an emotional relationship with a higher power could be how he resolves his conflict with precision and creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, uh, uh, he could be very good at creating illusions for groups of people mm-hmm. and, and that creating these illusions would be how he'd heal people. Uh, there is a weird relationship with the father. Uh, he could have good communication with him. Um, he could be very good at communicating through the airwaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be very charismatic, um, not afraid to uncover things. Uh, there is an interest in uh, sexuality and the taboo. Uh, there is uh, his mother would be sort of a, a creative fairy tale magical person in his life, or that could be an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, there uh, he would dress uh, really nice, have have the nicest things, designer things, and he believes he deserves to have these nice things. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were at a party with him, he would be holding court. He would uh, have a group of people. He would be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would appear to be confident and secure, but inward, this conflict is key to him. He, the, there, this conflict is inside of him. Um, he it, would not necessarily be reactionary. If uh, he were wronged, he'd be able to step back and make a plan as to um, how he would solve uh, this uh, feeling of wrong that he's had. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, would uh, go after someone who had wronged him, but again, making this plan in order to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an intense work ethic um, and he would be a powerful communicator and a powerful instigator. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that I've left out? No, I think that, that you've got most of it there. I think that also that Pisces has to do with, um, it could have to do with uh, using um, spiritual things using spiritual things as your um, resource for motivating. I mean, I, I, I can see this person being an evangelistic preacher or someone who really gets people going. I don't know. But um, that Pisces also has a spiritual aspect to it, to where, you know, like, you know, uh, with all this eighth house, sun and I mean, you could be dealing with like Aleister Crowley here also, like the dark side, like a cult, you know, because mm-hmm. their sun and Mercury is in the eighth house. So, but also that North Node in Pisces has that spiritualism thing about it, you know, like, like if you were laying hands on people or speaking in tongues or that kind of weird, you know, you could take it that far, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to know whose chart you've been looking at? Yes, because I really want to know if I'm, like, way out in left field. This is the astrological birth chart of Little Richard. Oh! Oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, sure. 
All right. Yeah, Little Richard is a very interesting one. That's for sure. Well, I can't wait to hear all about this. Uh, so, uh, for those of you who do not know, uh, Little Richard is... Uh, really one of the founders of rock and roll. Um, he is described as the architect of rock and roll. Um, there uh, are many people who would say that he is the rightful person to claim the title of king of rock and roll. Um, he uh, really, with his songs that he was doing in the uh, uh, early to mid-50s, um, really was one of the first ones to put all of these different influences of gospel and R&B and country and put them all together into a uniquely distinct sound. He uh, was a captivating performer. Um, if you uh, have never seen Little Richard, you will see him and you will never forget him. Um, the way that he dressed, the way that he acted, he uh, uh, was truly a, a sight to be seen. And uh, some some one who is completely captivating all the things that uh, we have uh, pointed out in the reading so far. Um, so little Richard uh, was born uh, Richard Wayne Pennyman in December of 1932 in uh, Macon, Georgia. Uh, he was uh, the third of 12 children mm. uh, born to uh, Leva May and Bud Pennyman. Um, Bud was a uh, church deacon. Uh, he was a uh, brick mason, and he was also a bootlegger. Oh, um, well. <laughs> little Richard uh, was born uh, uh, with a he was born with a deformity. Um, his uh, he had a short arm, and he had a leg that was three inches shorter from the other leg. Um, he uh, was made fun of for this a lot growing up. Um, uh, and growing up uh, as an African-American man in Macon, Georgia, in the 40s and 50s, there's already a, a huge level of discrimination against you. And then on top of that, having this um, physical deformity uh, mm -hmm. meant that he was picked on a lot growing up. Um, and he was also uh, picked out as being uh, bullies would, would try and beat him up. Um, he said that he learned how to run real fast uh, so oh that he my. could get away uh, from them. And then when he got home, he was also picked on not only by his siblings, but by his father as well. Um, his father was a, a very abusive man mm -hmm. uh, in his life. Um, the There are descriptions of what his father would do to him that are um, very gruesome. Um, he growing up, uh, had a very close tie to his mother, had a very close tie to his sisters and, mm -hmm. uh, and the young girls in his community. Mm -hmm. Um, part of this was because his mother encouraged him to, uh, take piano lessons and there were no other boys taking the piano lessons. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he, all of his friendships were with these young girls. So mm -hmm. that's, uh, uh, who he, uh, learned, uh, a life through. These were his mm -hmm. friends, the ones who took piano with him. Um, and he would also, he had this natural affinity towards feminine things. He liked to put on makeup. He mm -hmm. liked to put on women's clothes. Mm -hmm. And uh, his father would catch him doing this and was so oh. horrified. And, and knowing how hard it is just to be a black man in 
Macon, Georgia in the 50s. And on top of that, um, to see uh, uh, that his son was also putting this other uh, another level of of uh, a conflict onto him by by putting on women's clothes um wanted to to really scare him and 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 beat this out of him um and that was not going to be something that you could do this was mm-hmm. this was who little richard was mm-hmm. um eventually by the age of 15 his father had kicked him out of the house um mm-hmm. and uh, he uh found uh, uh, some other family members uh, or some other community members who took him in and they ran a, a local nightclub. And mm. uh, so he was able to actually have his talents rewarded. Mm-hmm. Um, his talents were also rewarded growing up in the church. Uh, the church was where he found meaning in his life. He found that his talents, he could use that to serve God, uh, that he mm-hmm. could sing gospel songs and people would all come around and listen to it. And he was able to uh, carry the Holy Spirit through him and his songs. And he mm-hmm. was able to mix all of these gospel uh, uh, musicians that he heard and mix it together with the R&B that he was hearing at these nightclubs and and get people closer to religion through the music that he was playing. And he found meaning in that, and he really mm-hmm. enjoyed that. Um, his uh, his musical uh, influences in, uh, included uh, Brother Joe May, uh, Marion uh, Williams, uh, Sister Rosetta Tharp. That was a huge influence on him. That's where he learned his high falsetto uh, 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 voice that he, he would take on um, was was through her. She would uh, sing out in the middle of, of a song and just hit these high notes, and he wanted to do that, and he learned uh-huh. how to do it. And eventually, Sister Tharp was uh, uh, going throughout uh, the South, uh, having these uh, gospel concerts, and Lil Richard showed up at one of them, and he and she was so taken with how he could sing that she put him up on stage, and mm-hmm. then she paid him for having him go, go up on stage. And then mm-hmm. he realized that this is a job, that you can make right. money doing this. Yes. And uh, eventually he was uh, able to uh, continue on, and, and he performed in lots of different shows. Uh, one of them uh, was a man named uh, Dr. Uh, Nub- Nublius. I can barely pronounce it, but he, he was a um, he ran a medicine show. And so mm-hmm. he would go all throughout the South and, uh, uh, he uh, would dress. Uh, Little Richard never seen a man dress like this. Uh, he had shoes that were green and gold, uh, mm-hmm. and he had a matching suit with it. And to see all these colors on a man, Little Richard was completely captivated. And so he learned how to dress uh, from uh, this man. And mm-hmm. uh, he also learned uh, how you do in order to go out and be in the harsh lights uh, of the stage, you have to put on makeup. So this mm-hmm. thing that he was being uh, literally beat for at home, he this was actually what you had to do in order to go out on stage. And so he would put on and cake on this makeup and, and eyelashes, and um, he would do these lavish performances and as part of these, uh, the, part of show business at the time, part of vaudeville, um, 
performing in drag was part of that. And mm-hmm. so he would perform in drag, wear women's clothing. And uh, uh, he was, again, rewarded uh, with people applauding him and with money for doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so he continued uh, going from these different traveling shows. Um, and he was getting these early successes, but he wasn't making enough doing this to uh, support himself. Uh, eventually, he'd find himself back in Macon, Georgia, uh, washing dishes at the local Greyhound station. Oh, no. And uh, the... uh, uh, So he he, he was doing this, and um, uh, he was able to start to do early recordings, though. And so... uh, But everyone wanted him to sound like other people. They wanted him to sound like Ray Charles or do a a gospel song or do things uh, like uh, Fats Domino is doing. And... Mm -hmm. He was not as successful being other people. He was somebody right. who had to be himself. Yes. Um, so eventually uh, he, he, he starts these early recordings and he's starting to get well known in Macon. Uh, his father actually comes to him and says that in order to be successful at this, you need to have a car. And so he offers to buy him a car so that wow. he can uh, travel to all these different gigs. Um, but the very next day, uh, his father was killed um, <gasps> and was killed by his best friend. Um, his uh, father ran a, a tavern in Macon and uh, the best friend had gotten drunk. And there are a couple different stories. One of them was that he was uh, 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 literally assaulting a young woman at <gasps> this uh, bar. Another one says that he was trying to steal money from a peanut machine. And anyway, he gets kicked out of the bar, and then eventually um, the father uh, comes out and uh, and the friend shoots him in the head. He was dead before he even hit the floor. Um, And uh, this, again, a huge trauma in his life and a very conflicted relationship that he had with his father, um, Mm -hmm. but was clearly upset that his father had died right after this relationship seemed to be healing. Right. Right away, uh, he he gets uh, this deal uh, with Specialty Records, and uh, they take him to New Orleans. They don't want him to have his usual band. They want his these uh, session, uh, uh, the session band in New Orleans, and they want him to sing exactly like uh, Ray Charles. And oh so uh, he is there, and he's working all through the morning in September of eight, of nineteen fifty five, and no one, it's not working. And so eventually they go and, okay, well, we'll just take a break. And so he goes and he finds a piano elsewhere and uh, he starts doing Tutti Frutti. Um, He had been working on Tutti Frutti for years and he'd been playing Mm it. But Tutti Frutti was a very risque song. Um, Mm -hmm. Tutti Frutti, uh, the lyrics as he made them up were... um, uh, uh, Tutti Frutti Big Booty Tutti Frutti mm-hmm. Big Booty and mm-hmm. uh, lots of other risque things referencing sexuality mm-hmm. and so uh, but they were like well this song is too good we have to record it we just have to clean up the lyrics so they got one of the secretaries to come in and uh, <laughs> so he did the whole song and then she wrote out the lyrics and she changed it Tutti Frutti All Rudy which mm-hmm. uh, was a jive for All Right uh, mm-hmm. So I uh, was able to clean up these lyrics and he recorded it and it shot up. Uh, it mm-hmm. went to all of the uh, big uh, uh, record, uh, the radio stations, and some of them were playing it. And some of them, the record companies found it and they took it and they sent it to other artists to play. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. So 
they and the deal that little richard had made um didn't allow him to get any money from that from other people covering it the the publishing company got money but they did uh-huh. not have to give any of that money to richard mm-hmm. uh, so tutti frutti was covered by elvis and it was covered by pat boone and mm-hmm. pat boone actually made a huge a, a big record off of it mm-hmm. and it was little richard's song um mm-hmm. and and these other artists were getting uh, credit for it and getting all the money from it too mm-hmm. and they were white um so uh the, there was this uh, you know, the, the, this resentment that was felt. But then he got to see that this was actually breaking down the color barrier, that his songs were now getting heard by white people. And mm-hmm. if they wanted to hear the really good version, then they would have to come <laughs> to his concert. Uh-huh. And eventually he got it to where he saw it as a benefit that, um, mm-hmm. that while he would have liked to have seen the financial benefit of it, mm-hmm. um, he got exposure from this. And uh it, it broke down uh, the you know the these these concert halls in the south were completely segregated and he was able to go in and say well we we're not going to do two different shows so if everybody wants to come they have to come to the same show and so blacks and whites were singing and dancing together to his music mm-hmm. um which was monumental in the mid 50s and in, in mm-hmm. the south um so uh the 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 Color barriers were being uh, broken down, and eventually he also learned, well, he has to perform these songs so uniquely that anyone else who even tries, they're not going to mm-hmm. get anywhere close to what he was doing. And so the next song that he does is Long Tall Sally, and mm-hmm. he puts his whole soul into it and mm-hmm. uh, does all of these facial expressions and dance moves while he's doing it and does it so fast that uh, if you ever hear... Pat Boone's version <laughs> of Long Tall Sally. It is ridiculous uh, to to hear this stilted uh, white performer do this song, and then you hear Little Richard, and it, it it's perfect. It is it is it is rock and roll. It is mm-hmm. what rock and roll is supposed to be. Um, so uh, uh, he in in 1957 alone, he records seven of the biggest rock and roll hits ever recorded. He's got a uh, Tutti Fruity, Long Tall Sally, uh, Slippin' and Slidin', mm-hmm. Rip It Up, uh, Ready Teddy, Lucille. Um, mm-hmm. Elvis is also recording these songs and he's able to get some of the credit uh, for these songs, even though uh, Little Richard is uh, is the one who actually wrote them. Mm-hmm. Um but still, he's he's successful. He's selling out houses all over the United States. And in 1957, he makes a trip to Australia um, because Ooh. all over England and Australia, they love this music, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he is uh, doing these uh, concert halls uh, in Australia, and uh, he's starting. The, the conflict is eating up at him. There's a lot mm-hmm. of things con- conflicting within him. There is yeah. this music, which a lot of people say is the devil's music, and oh he is a very religious person, and mm-hmm. he doesn't like it that that this music and you know a lot of it is. A, a, implicitly about sexuality Um, so this is eating up at him he also has his own sexuality he is attracted to men he is sexually Mm -hmm. attracted to men and he has um uh, performed sexual acts with men and women at this time. Uh, mm-hmm. In 1957, he gets married uh, to uh, Ernestine um, Haven, which is a woman that he meets at an evangelical meeting. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't 
cover up the fact of, of who he is and, and who he is attracted to. Um, mm-hmm. So he's, li- he's living this double life and there's all these things eating up at him. And he's in Australia in 1957. And uh, during one of the concerts, he looks up and he sees this big red fireball uh, go across the sky. And mm-hmm. uh, he says that that was a message from God, that God was mm-hmm. telling him that he's not on the right path, that mm-hmm. he's uh, got to go um, away from rock and roll. And mm-hmm. uh, now it, everyone told him the next day that that was actually Sputnik. It was Sputnik <laughs> being launched up in the sky. But he said, nope, that's a ma- it doesn't matter if it's, a, if it's a satellite. God was sending that to me. And mm-hmm. so in Australia, uh, he quits in the, uh, uh, right after a performance. And he says, that I- I'm not doing rock and roll anymore. Oh and uh, he uh, actually goes into uh, he, he goes to a dock in Australia and he starts taking rings off. They're worth tens of thousands of dollars and starts tossing them uh, into uh, into the sea. Um, <gasps> la- later on, he, he said that he'd like to meet the fish who got all those rings. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he was just fed up with all of it. And oh, uh, so he quit rock and roll and uh, he went into a seminary. Uh, uh, he wanted to be a preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so he went to a school in Alabama and he was there for a, a number of years. But eventually, um, well, w- one of the stories says that he, he, he was expelled because he uh, was exposing himself to a, a, a young man. Oh, um, so again, this 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 conflict within him. Um, was central to who he was. Um, by the early 60s, he had come back. And in 1962, uh, he is uh, asked to... Uh, 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 perform in England and he goes over to England and uh, Brian Epstein is the one who is putting this uh, concert together. His father mm. uh, uh, runs record shops um, and uh, owns uh, several of them in England and Brian is the manager of this new group called the Beatles. And uh, so Little Richard goes out uh, with the Beatles, and Little Richard needs a band, too. So in Little Richard's band on guitar is Jimi Hendrix. Um, uh, On backup vocals is James Brown. Um, Oh, my. uh, He has uh, uh, Billy Preston uh, on the keyboard. Uh, Mick Jagger is also uh, in the band. Uh, This is some of the biggest rock and roll stars ever, and nobody knows who they are yet. They're just playing along with Little Richard. At one point, uh, the Beatles come to uh, Little Richard, and they offer him a 50% stake in the band, and he turns them down. Uh, oh, that's no. that, 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 that's one of the biggest regrets he ever had. Um, but he did believe, he, and, and when you look at all of them, they all have been influenced by Little Richard, especially Paul McCartney. You listen to, uh, I mean, Paul McCartney literally singing Little Richard songs, um, uh, like Tutti Frutti and, and Long Tall Sally. But then you look in other songs in the Beatles and you will hear the high falsetto, the, the screaming that Little Richard did. Paul McCartney learned it from little richard wow um so uh that that was some of the stuff that he was doing in the early 60s and they talk about that there was a huge conflict between Jimi hendrix and little richard because everything had to be exactly the way little richard wanted it to be because he had this vision of how the band and how each person would move during the song and uh the things that people would wear and Jimi hendrix if anyone knows about him he is a a, a rock and roll man himself he doesn't want these rules he doesn't want mm-hmm. these uh so at one 
one point, and he would fine members of the band for things that they were doing. In the 50s, he would fine them for drinking or for smoking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, In the 60s, he was starting to uh, do a a fair bit of drinking uh, Mm -hmm. and smoking and all kinds of other stuff himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, At one point, he fined Jimi Hendrix and even fired him for wearing a shirt that was louder than his. Oh, no. You can't upstage me. And uh-uh. so uh, he fired him, but then hired him back. But eventually, Jimi Hendrix left the band and went on to do all the things that we, we know him to, to have done. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, also during the 60s, you have the civil rights movement. And uh, he is performing in uh, all of these halls. And all of the uh, tons of white people are coming to see him play. Mm -hmm. And in the late sixties, you start to have more radical uh, elements of the uh, civil rights movement. People like the black Panthers who now want him to only play for black people. Mm -hmm. And he said that he was not going to do that. And so black DJs started to not play his music um, because uh, he was he was going to play to whoever was going to listen to him. And he was uh-huh. not going, he, he, he liked to say, uh, uh, black, white, red, yellow, were all part of God's bouquet. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to shut anybody out. Um, so now, uh, going from the sixties into the seventies, um, the drugs really start to, uh, play a role here. At mm-hmm. one point he was taking over, uh, $1,000 of cocaine a day. Uh, going right up his nose. Oh my! If, I, I can't imagine why Little Richard would even need cocaine. Nope. Um, he was already zooming off the walls as it was. But man, he had quite the drug. At one point, he said that he was blowing his nose and just flesh was coming out. Oh. Um. So, uh, uh, by the late seventies, again, he hits this. The the conflict was too hard to bear. Uh, he was. Uh, he had gotten divorced. Um. But uh, he. Uh, had he he was gay but he didn't want to be gay um mm-hmm. and he uh was a rock and roller but he didn't want to be a rock and roller he wanted to mm-hmm. be a gospel singer he wanted to be an evangelical preacher wow. um and so he um he left again in the late 70s and and gave it up and uh he uh tried to do gospel and he tried to be a minister and these things didn't work out and then eventually by uh the mid 80s now we're 30 years removed from when rock and roll was created, and we've already lost so many of these people who had mm-hmm. started rock and roll. And so people are taking uh, a look around saying, well, Lil Richard is still here, and we should honor him while he's still around. And mm-hmm. so uh, he was inducted in the first round of people to go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, wow. And uh, he uh, was uh, uh, honored by uh, all of these, the, the uh, American Music Awards and all of these people coming together and so then he decides okay i'm gonna get back in so from 1986 onward he performs and records and does all these things and even in the 1990s um he he gets this huge second wind because he records children's music um Mm. so he talks about these little children they don't know him from tutti frutti they know him from the incy weensy spider because he recorded this version of the incy weensy spider and uh he recorded the magic school bus theme song and and all of these things uh so uh, uh he he continued doing this uh throughout the uh 80s and 90s um 
and uh, continued performing uh, all the way up until the very end. Uh, at the very end, in the late uh, 20-teens, uh, he really discovered God again and uh, did a lot of church interviews and uh, was really trying to uh, uh, get back to his roots. Um, and uh, then in, in May of 2020, it was discovered that he had bone cancer um, mm-hmm. and uh, he passed away in May of 2020 from uh, bone cancer. Mm-hmm. Um I remembered when he passed away, uh, the, for those of you who, who don't know or don't rem- I've mentioned it once or twice, uh, I went to uh, Texas A&M University, and um, I keep up with uh, a lot of the different alumni groups, and uh, one of, uh, there was this story that was posted in one of the uh, websites of uh, Little Richard went uh, through Texas A&M in uh, the early 60s. Mm-hmm. And there was a cadet, and he lived in Arizona, and they were going back for winter break. And uh, he you took a train in the early 60s to get all the way to Arizona, and that's, you know, a journey of, of days. So uh, he gets on the train in College Station, and uh, he goes into this car, and the car is filled with the band. Uh, all of mm-hmm. these African-American men, which uh, in the, the early 60s was uh, a, a little scary for this cadet. Uh, he didn't have that many experiences with African-American men. Um, but it, it, his ticket was for the right place, and they were mm-hmm. all in this car together. And <laughs> they just started talking and having a great time. At one point, they get into a station, I think, in El Paso. And uh, they, Little Richard says, they have the best sandwiches right outside the station. Go out there, go right around the corner, get the sandwiches sandwiches here's the money go out there and the cadet runs out there and he grabs sandwiches <laughs> for the whole band and uh, eventually the the little richard continues on to uh, los angeles and and the cadet gets off uh, in uh, tucson or some other place in arizona and uh, later on Years and years and years later, um, the the guy is grown up and he goes to see Little Richard uh, in concert in Georgia. And he goes backstage and he goes, uh, uh, Little Richard, I, I know you're not going to remember me, but uh, I was this little kid. I remember you. You're the boy who got us all those sandwiches. Oh, uh, awesome. You should have told me you were coming. I would have got you front row seats. Oh, uh, that's so good. And, and uh, I just the, I love that story so much. And uh, you know, Little Richard is a person who again integral to the story of culture in mm-hmm. in the twentieth century. Um, mm-hmm. You look at the people who not only did he influence but had a direct role in their lives you have elvis and you have the beatles and you have jimmy mm-hmm. hendrix and you have david bowie and uh, uh you have uh the godfather of soul and all these people were directly uh influenced or he played a direct role in their careers uh mm-hmm. th- there are a lot of people who's you know that they they argue or they don't like you know that elvis is said to be the king of rock and roll Little Richard had no problem with Elvis. He saw Elvis as a like-minded person, someone mm-hmm. who was equally as conflicted in regards to the music they were doing, but their gospel roots, and had a lot in common with him and mm-hmm. saw him as a beautiful person and a wonderful human being. Um, I would say that the only person who could possibly uh, uh, be bandied about as someone who is equally 
worthy of the title of king of rock and roll is little richard um Mm -hmm. just uh uh, the the influence that he had and to look at a man who who went through so much in his early life and throughout his career um as an african-american in the south during segregation and jim crow as as a homosexual man dealing with all of that and his religious upbringing um and finding a way to bring it all together and and to make people happy um to to uh, share his talent uh, with the world, um, a, a truly uh, remarkable person. And uh, I think uh, I think the chart here uh, bears out a lot of uh, who Little Richard was. Wow, that is amazing. I did not expect you to say Little Richard, but it completely makes sense. I mean, Little Richard performed like a really hopped up evangelical preacher. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when he performs, it's like, it's like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like jet propulsion, you know? It's amazing. If you have never seen Little Richard perform, you've got to go find video of Little Richard and watch him because he is a force to be reckoned with and so talented and clearly very conflicted in his chart, you know? Mm-hmm. There's so much going on in there. And that Pluto in the third house, hidden things at home, you know, taboo things at home. Um, you haven't described what went on at this house, but I'm pretty sure it was not good. So, you know, um, but clearly he loved, you know, performing. It's unfortunate that he was so conflicted, but, um, without everything that he was, he wouldn't have been who he was. So without all of these pieces of the machine working, that's what made him who he was. You know, it's unfortunate that he had to feel so much intensity, you know, bipolar intensity about what he was doing. But that Chiron in the first house, it's very clear because Chiron is the wounded healer and the wounded healer is uh, his wounds were from, you know, people making fun of him from because of his, you know, uh, difficulties and his um, physical attributes and onward, you know, but whew, when he healed it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because through what he did, think of how many people he did heal yeah. because of exactly who he was and people could identify with that. Right. And that's amazing because uh, he was very important to, I'm sure, you know, thousands of people who could identify with everything he went through and everything he was putting out there for the whole world to see, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Very good choice, Chandler. Very good. <laughs> uh, well, is there anything else that uh, makes more sense to you now that you know who it is? Oh, well, it just all makes perfect sense now. You know, it's uh, very interesting how... Uh, you can look at a chart and you can say, well, this could be this, but it could be that. And what's really interesting about this particular one is it was both. Right. He went through this aspect and that aspect and this aspect and that aspect. You know, like he would just teeter back and forth between the dark and the light of both sides of every one of his houses. It's very interesting. Yes. 
Uh, well, I think on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, uh, this is definitely one that is uh, right on the money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one of the things I, I wrote down this quote that he said a lot, um, we were talking about like, how would he feel about himself? And you said that uh, outwardly, he would be uh, extremely confident. And yeah. uh, one, one of the things that he would often say is, uh, honey, I'm not conceited, I'm convinced. <laughs> so uh, I think that that's that all bears out one one of the uh, biggest stars in rock and roll, um, the person known as the architect of rock and roll, the emancipator of soul. Um, it's all there. Uh, that that conflict within him, um, the creative and the precision, uh, the uh, religion and the taboo. Um, it, it's uh, it, it was all born out in this uh, in this very wild and truly American artist. Absolutely. And little Richard, if you can hear us wherever you are up in heaven, just know we really appreciate every single aspect about you and what you did for us. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, we, uh, the, the dog, the golden retriever that we had uh, growing up was had the full name of Good Golly Miss Molly. Yes. Uh, so uh, little Richard uh, was uh, definitely uh, a part of our uh, household. <laughs> Um, well, uh, that uh, just about wraps things up for this episode of uh, History in Retrograde. We'd like to uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to support the show, uh, please uh, reach out. We have all of our uh, socials and email uh, posted in the uh, description of the show. Uh, please visit them. And uh, also in the description, we have a link to our PayPal account. Um, if uh, you are feeling extra generous, every little bit helps us in uh, producing a better quality show and getting the word out about our show to more people um mom is there anything else you'd like to add well i don't know if you're ready for me to introduce this um possibility for uh things i might be doing in the future now or if you want to wait until later yeah uh so uh go ahead and uh talk a little bit about uh, this opportunity that we will uh, be providing for our guests uh, for our (laughs) uh, uh listeners Okay, so there's a couple of ideas that I'm kind of excited about. First, I want to say thank you to all the people who have been reaching out to me and to Chandler to find out if I would actually do um, reading for them, like do their natal chart or do their transits or do um, different aspects, even um, like romantic uh, sinistry charts and things like that. So I am actually considering this. So if you do have some interest in this, um, message us and we will, um, uh, have a, have a conversation with you about this if you're interested. I'm, I'm excited to, uh, know that people would be interested in that. So it makes me feel really good. Yes. Uh, so if you are interested in having a, uh, a reading by Chandler's mom, uh, <laughs> then uh, you can reach out to us. Uh, we have the email posted in the description of the show, uh, History and Retrograde at, the, at gmail.com. Uh, you can also reach out, and we'll put this uh, in uh, future descriptions of shows, um, as uh, Chandler's mom at historyandretrograde.com. <laughs> Uh, so uh, if you are uh, interested in uh, having that, uh, please reach out. We'd love to talk to you. That'd be lovely. I look forward to speaking with all of you. Thank you. Uh, well, I think that uh, does uh, get us to the end of the episode. So as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We love you all. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.